When people in the Midlands want to talk, they talk to Will Faulkner. Hello, good morning and a happy Christmas Friday to you. On the agenda, should you buy a new car? Because the government has just announced car and bike sharing hubs in 200 towns, villages and cities from next year. But did they consult the motor trade in advance? A little leash boy is getting his mullet shaved off for charity. And the Friday panel takes you through some of the big news of the last week and indeed the last year. When you call 0818 300 103 is the Midlands 103 comment line. You can text or WhatsApp 083 30 10 103, powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. Let's see what's front pages today on the Irish Daily Star. Cresh stab accused replies, I am a sick person. A man has been charged with the attempted murder of three children. He is Riyad Bushhaker who is 50 years of age and of no fixed abode. On the front of the Irish Independent, new extortion law to target bogus planning objectors. There are some people who obviously have legitimate concerns. You have another group who seem to be doing this almost as a hobby, or in some cases, a little business enterprise. They find reasons to object to major planning schemes, and will only go away if they are paid to do so. So according to the Irish Independent, a standalone offence of extortion will be created and any vexatious appeals will be passed to the Gorthy. Moving then to the Irish Times. Again, that story about the man in Dublin being charged in connection with the stabbings in Parnell Square recently. The other story... Coalition faces legal action for failing asylum seekers. It says Ireland's human rights watchdog is challenging the government in the High Court over its failure to provide suitable accommodation and supports for asylum seekers. That'll be an interesting case to watch. Whether the judge takes a pragmatic view, perhaps, and says, well, there are limits to the accommodation available, a pre-existing housing crisis, for instance, or that regardless of those constraints, the government should have been more effective in putting roofs over heads. Anyway, that's on the front of the Irish Times. Let's go inside the papers, because there are a lot of environmental stories this morning. For instance, Eamon Ryan, the Transport Minister, has said solar power has gone gangbusters this past year, with demand far ahead of what was anticipated. So just to give you some numbers. In 2022, there were about 13 gigawatt hours of solar on the grid. It it, uh, has gone to 400 at the end of 2023, so from 13 gigawatt hours to 400 gigawatt hours. He says it is an incredible leap that solar power was complementary to wind and is working really well in Ireland. He has also announced, as we swap over to the... Irish Examiner, and indeed is detailed in many papers today, 
how a car and bike sharing scheme will be rolled out to 200 towns, villages and city suburbs from next year. So you will be able to borrow an electric car or an electric bike for short or long journeys for a small fee once registered. Now, there are some private companies doing this already, GoCar perhaps being one of the more famous of them. But this is going to be state-backed. And it's really going to challenge the motor trade. Will you need to own a car, especially if you are only travelling on limited mileage? And obviously I'm a little conflicted here. There are many good customers of the radio station in the motor trade. But they employ thousands of people across the country. Those jobs are reliant on that income. So if you don't buy cars as frequently as you have been, is there going to be a just transition for the motor trade? Obviously, transport contributes to the environmental issues and you can't be an ostrich and bury your head in the sand. It's an interesting one. Moving to the Irish Independent. If you refuse to take a brown bin, you will have to provide a written explanation of how you will get rid of your waste. Do you have a brown bin yet? January 1st is the deadline by which your waste collector will have to offer you a brown bin. And into the brown bin will go your food waste. And in some arrangements, they're not charging any extra for it. Others have applied a fee, but they claim you will get that back because the pay-by-weight system will reward you. There will be less food waste in the regular bin. So just watch to see does the letter come through the letterbox, the email, as it may be. Um, we haven't a brown bin in Clumbalogue. We may be one of the last. Have you got a brown bin? The Irish Independent has paid a visit to Tullamore nearly two years after the murder of 23-year-old schoolteacher Ashling Murphy. And the headline says, Sense of fear still hangs over Tullamore despite Ashling's killer being jailed. And so they talk to a number of local people. Tina Kennedy, for instance, says, As a 34-year-old woman, she feels more conscious about being out walking. The shocking thing is that it happened in the middle of the day. Neve Walsh is 20 years of age and from Muckla, and she says you can't go out for a walk without having to worry about what might be behind the next corner. You shouldn't have to think like that, being a girl walking around your own town. Rose Doherty says it has been an awful year. Both my girls were very friendly with Ashling, and it still has a big effect on them. And the article finishes rather poignantly, saying, Now on the pathway of the Grand Canal in Tullamore, less than two kilometres apart, there are two memorials to two young women who were just embarking on their lives. One, a monument to Fiona Pender, the other to Ashling Murphy. Former President Mary Robinson was interviewed on Virgin Media's Tonight Show yesterday. And she said something about migration, which is going to be dissected. And it was a very brief comment. And as a former head of state, she says it is important that she stays out of an issue that's politically hot. But what she suggested is, I believe the Irish people do think there is room in the inn 
but they need to be properly consulted. That's the issue. If people know what the situation is, are told the real situation, they're going to be generous and open about it, because that's what we are. But clearly she feels some of the communication around asylum seekers moving into different areas has been lacking. And I think that's a very reasonable point, do you? Where it's almost presented as a fait accompli. It happens over the cloak of darkness with practically no consultation. Unusual story in many of the British papers today. Alex Batty is a 17-year-old boy who, along with his mum and his granddad, disappeared some years ago and they ended up living a nomadic lifestyle. And now at the age of 17, he became a little fed up of this, not being able to have friends, living an alternative way of life. And so he ran away after a big argument with his anti-government, anti-vax mum. That's his quote, anti-government, anti-vax. And he walked for four days and four nights and was eventually picked up by a student who was driving through the Pyrenees, the mountains between France and Spain. And so he has given his first interview after being returned to his grandmother in Manchester. And he says, I realised it wasn't a great way to live for my future. Moving around, no friends, no social life, working, working, work and not study. That's the life I imagined I would be leading if I stayed with my mum. Very unusual situation. And look, people are entitled to pursue their own life as they wish and bring their children with them. But he clearly feels it wasn't for him. And we've talked to some people in, in the last year. I recall one gentleman living out of a van which he had renovated and was travelling around France and down into Spain and Portugal. And it was for a single man who had a job where he could work from home. It was a very appealing existence in his 20s. Probably not if you are a child being hauled around in much the same way. And a final bizarre story for you. This from the Irish Times. Dennis Staunton writes about being in Beijing meeting various friends, and one of his friends has just split from his wife. And now he has only heard his side of the story, not the wife's side of the story, but here's how the story goes. He and his wife lived in Beijing, and he worked at every kind of odd job going, whether as a driver, a delivery man, a handyman, and... Their six-year-old lived with his parents a few hours away, which they believed was in the child's best interest. So she stayed at home. She wasn't child-minding. She wasn't working. But by all accounts, she was very, very strict about what he could do. For instance, he wasn't allowed to eat melon when he was in the house. And she wanted him home at a particular time and would fine him if he didn't return. So if he told her about a change of plan before 2pm, he was fined the equivalent of €64. Euro. If plans changed after 2pm, he was fined the equivalent 
of 102 euro. And again, he claims that the final straw was when his dad was ill in hospital, he walked into the ward to discover his wife shouting angrily at the old man as he lay in the bed. And that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Now, if it's true, how do you end up in a situation like that? Because you would imagine on day one, you wouldn't sign up for it. So it must have happened subtly and surreptitiously over time. And that is the story of many abusive relationships, isn't it? You don't realise what you're signing up for in the beginning. You are often love-bombed. And then only when you are in too deep does the situation change. And very often those red flags are only seen in hindsight, never, never ahead of us. Anyway, that's in the Irish Times if you want to read more. The name you trust with the news you need. Midlands Today. Midlands 103. Transport Minister Eamon Ryan has announced a car and bike sharing scheme that will involve community hubs being established in 200 towns, villages and city suburbs from next year. And you will be able to borrow an electric car or an electric bike and take it for either long journeys or short journeys for a fee once you're registered and fully signed up. And this model has been brought here by GoCar and similar companies and has proved popular in cities, perhaps less so in rural areas. So let's find out more about what the vision is from his Green Party colleague and member of Westmeath County Council, Councillor Hazel Smith. Hazel, good morning. How do you expect this will work in practice? So... Luckily, we already have a case study in Fingal County Council where they have a kind of a similar setup at the moment with a mobility hub there. Um, and the way it works is that there is a um, there's charges there for both uh, bikes, um, e-bikes and for um, the electric vehicles. And uh, so I understand from my colleagues there in Fingal that uh, you can, for example, borrow an uh, electric bike for up to five weeks at 10 euro a week to um, to try them out. Um, and uh, there's also e-cargo bike rentals as well that you can um, that you can use. Uh, and uh, yeah, the idea is that rather than having to own and pay for your own car, um, that you can uh, go to one of these hubs and um, and hire them on a need-to-be basis. Um, and yeah, they, they seem to be working really well there in Fingal. Um, so it is a case of they, uh, they, they, they're proving to be popular. So hopefully um, it will uh, save people the expense of having to own their own personal e-bike or car, um, where again, if they don't need it on a very kind of, you know, um, for, for whatever reason, if they're in a position that they can just, uh, um, sorry, I'm getting really bad feedback. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I can, I, we can hear you fine. But I'm just <laughs> okay, anticipating okay. that if you were somebody who's doing high mileage, let's say you were mm-hmm. traveling to work five days a week, maybe visiting family at weekends, racking up, mm-hmm. call it 500 kilometers a week, whatever the average might be then it mightn't be fully suitable for you 
this would be more aimed at somebody perhaps who's living a shorter distance from work, uh, who maybe goes to the odd hospital appointment, a retired person perhaps, who tends to use it in yeah. Fingal might be the best way of uh, understanding it. Yeah, well, I think, you know, with most electric cars now, the range does tend to be, um, you know, growing more and more to, you know, around the 300, 400 uh, kilometer range. Uh, and so I think for a lot of people who travel in and out of work, they, even for somebody, say, living in uh, Caloocan who wants to travel into Mullingar every day for work, um, you know, that's, uh, you're looking at about 15, 20 kilometers each way. Uh, so, you know, this kind of option would be very feasible for you. Um, and then, you know, the idea is that you're promoting public transport alongside this as well. And um, so that if you are traveling kind of far distances that you um, that you, you, you would be uh, considering using public transport for those types of uh, journeys. But um, I do think, you know, with the range improving on these electric vehicles all the time, um, there's no reason why, again, unless you're doing, as you say, like extremely high mileage, which I don't know how many people are doing that on a daily basis. Um, you know, this this should be a good feasible option for, for people in in, in Westmead and, and uh, other counties as well, not just um, the likes of Fingal County Council. Yeah, well, look, I think anybody living in Mullingar and commuting to Dublin for work, if they're doing it five days a week, then they would add up to the sort of mileage I described. Um, what about the motor well, trade? We've had, for instance, uh, issues yeah. of just transition in the Midlands before and, and it's happening very quickly. If mm-hmm. people embraced this as of January um, mm-hmm. or whenever the option becomes available to them, they may hesitate in buying a new car. That new car sale supports jobs probably in the hundreds here in the Midlands and thousands across the country. Has the motor trade been consulted on this? Um, I know that this is a pilot scheme at the moment, and so there's a business case study being carried out um, around all of this. Uh, it'll be mainly um, carried out by the or managed by the local authorities. Uh, and, well, well, the uh, minister uh, has said he expects to deliver around 200 of these hubs. The pilot started yeah. two years yeah. ago, so the plans are more yeah. advanced than that. Um, well, as I say, it's a pilot um, that's going to be carried out in three uh, of the cities around the country first initially at least to see um, to see how things go there on that front um, and then yeah the, the plan is to roll it out for, to 200 then across the country um, but you know I think the reality is for a lot of people there's a cost of living crisis happening right now um, cars are extremely expensive and we are also in the midst of a climate crisis so I think that the focus needs to be on you know ensuring that we are um, really living up to our you know, emissions targets and so on to actually try to make these electric vehicles accessible to everybody. And I know that I hear a lot from people that electric vehicles are very expensive to buy. Uh, and so for a lot of people, that's not an option. And so I think, again, something like this, um, you know, is a potential game changer for people who, um, you know, want to make the shift but aren't in position to um, buy a, a new car for whatever reason. Uh, particularly an electric one. Um, and so, you know, I think that does need to be the priority. People's, um, you know, cost of living and um, trying to support people that way to actually be able to, um, you know, have these cars available and accessible to them um, so that they can, you know, um, use them without having to in- endure um, the cost of, you know, the insurance, uh, the, the, the rising cost of, you know, potentially 
petrol and diesel and all that. Yeah, um, I suppose it all depends on the, the pricing structure then, doesn't it? Uh, people will yeah, have to get yeah, out yeah. the calculator and figure out based on their mileage and their needs whether this is a better option for them than actually buying a car outright. And when, or, or do you even have information now about what the pricing structure might look like? Well, as I say, so in um, Thingol County Council, for the e-bike, for example, it's €10 a week. Um, and so this will be a not-for-profit scheme. And so there's no intention to make any profits from this by the government. Um, and so the idea is that the cost will be very low. Um, and the infrastructure will be set up around it so that it is um, very um, cost-effective for people. Um, and I think that has to be a priority here with this to encourage, as you say, people to actually um, to, to consider it as a feasible alternative to buying your yes. own uh, private car. You mentioned a tenner a week for the bikes. Do you have any idea what yes. the cost of the car will be? Because in rural areas, that's probably the more relevant option. I don't have that figure, to be honest, to hand right now. Um, but I do know that it is... Uh, it will be very low um, because, as I say, it's not the intention here is to really encourage people to make that shift um, without, um, again, uh, with it costing, I suppose, a lot less than what you would mm. be paying potentially on petrol and diesel every week, um, you know, driving up and down to Dublin or wherever it might be. Um, so the idea is that you can um, have this charged up. You'll be able to get to Dublin, um, you know, and, and back again um, and then have it have a charge to, to go again the next day. Um, as I say, even for people, you know, living in um, like Smullingard, travelling to, to Dublin, there's no reason then that you couldn't charge it, for example, maybe in Dublin, whilst you're at work or whatever, and then um, head back as well. Um, you know, the idea is there will be lots of these hubs available to you so that it is, um, it is very accessible. Yeah, I, I, I suspect some of the detail will be worked out, obviously, when... Mm-hmm. These three city pilots are completed, but there will be a clamour at that stage if the vision is for 200 of these hubs all over the country at 26 counties. That's an average of about eight per county. Every town and village and hamlet would love to be selected. So how might they be chosen? What sort of criteria would be suitable? So I suppose it will be looking at the, um, a number of people there to make it feasible and uh, to have the charger um, there. But um, this is also being rolled out in conjunction with the recent announcement around um, EV community chargers for like sports clubs and then the community ones as well. So um, the idea is there won't be any reason for people any longer to kind of state that, you know, oh, there's not enough EV chargers around the place. It's not feasible for me because the reality is hopefully your local GA club, your you know, in your local village, there will be um, not one, but hopefully at some point, you know, multiple um, charging points there available for people um, to, to be able to charge up um, these cars or their own cars um, and, and get going again. Um, and so I think, it's a, you know, it's a really welcome um, development in terms of the, the need for us to switch from our kind of fossil fuel dependent cars to these electric cars. Um, and uh, again, where it's a case of, you know, for a lot of people, as I say, they're just not in a position to own their own car. Um, and, you know, that could be down to space, that can, you know, for multiple reasons. Um, and so I think this um, really makes it um, feasible for a lot of people to have access to um, that kind of that uh, community car. And there's, the insurance is also being taken care of as well. So that, again, that won't be um, an obstacle here for people. Um, and so, yeah, I think it is. It's just it's really... 
um, great new development for people to have um, the ability to, you know, um, to, to hire these cars. And, and, you know, we've already seen great success with the Go cars um, around the country, um, and they're available in Westmead as it is. Um, and, you know, it's just a case of, I suppose, expanding on that idea and um, that people can um, have the cars there available to them on a, you know, as and when needed basis. Mm. Well, um, we'll watch, so, yeah, hopefully. We'll watch with yeah. uh, anticipation to see the detail. I think the detail mm-hmm. will be telling. Um, for the moment, Hazel Smith, thank you very much for taking our call and a happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. Thank you very much for having me. Councillor Hazel Smith is a member of the Green Party in Westmeath. And again, a lot of comment about, well, how many cars will be in an area? How many uh, rules will apply, for instance, if you collect in area A? Do you uh, travel to area B and leave it there? Or do you always have to bring it back to the point of origin? Um, I think all of those questions will determine the uptake and how popular this scheme will be. 083 30 10 103 on text and on WhatsApp. Still on the agenda in just a few minutes. A boy from County Leash is getting his mullet shaved off in aid of his local school. And next, how long are you waiting for a driving test? Because for some reason, there's one test centre in the Midlands where the wait is significantly longer than others. It's time for the latest Community Diary with Tommy Solicitors at Loan, one of the largest, longest established and most respected firms of solicitors in the Midlands. Leash Offaly Education and Training Board offers drop-in clinics for form filling and digital online support. And they happen Mondays in Tullamore Library from 10 until 12 and on Tuesdays in Port Leash Library, again, 10 until 12. And the service is free, it's confidential, you don't need an appointment, you just drop in. Schlieve Bloom sponsored walk in aid of Leash Hospice Foundation takes place in Clonisley, St. Stephen's Day and refreshments will be served in the community centre afterwards. Also, if you can volunteer on the day, that will be very helpful. See Clonus Lee St. Stephen's Day Walk on Facebook for details. If you fancy brushing up on your writing, maths or computer skills, you can talk to your local adult learning service in Leash on 057 86 or in Offaly on 057 93 4 or check out LOETB on Facebook. Ross Core Clinic treats and supports RSV, flu, pneumonia, bronchitis, COPD, as well as a range of digestive issues, skin, muscle and joint problems, as well as women's, men's, children's and infants' health, with evening appointments available. Contact Emmett Walsh or Ava Rafalowska on 057 93 or online at medicalherbalist.ie. The Community Diary is online at midlands103.com. Check out uh, anytime. You can also add your own item. If I missed something that's happening in your area, just call Marina on 0818 300 103. The Community Diary, with thanks to Tormy Solicitors, experienced in the areas of law that affect people on a day-to-day basis. Tormies.ie Love the Midlands? Love Midlands Today. Midlands 103 Thomas, you were told you don't need a brown bin. 
because you are always going to the landfill and disposing of it there. Well, again, if you can prove that and you've a legitimate way of disposing of it, you don't have to take the brown bin. But the news today is that you will have to prove in writing how you dispose of your food waste. Ina, you don't have a brown bin because you have a compost bin in the garden into which all of the veg, peel and flowers and so on goes. And any leftover cooked food? Well, that's given to the birds. Excellent. And regarding the car hire scheme, which will be state-backed, James is of the view, this is another scam. Until we discover what the price of the hire will be. How anybody can afford the hire of a bus of a train. Ooh. Yes, I... He, he believes it's a scheme to push people into EV cars that, if you actually do the maths, probably getting onto the bus or train will be cheaper. The devil will be in the detail. You are right on that, James. It all comes down to the price. And another person with tongue firmly in cheek says, Are we all getting an electric car for Christmas? Really, they're for the rich, not for the disadvantaged person. Electric cars have been much more expensive up until now at least, than the petrol or diesel equivalent. Although that is starting to change. The production processes are improving. The battery costs are coming down. So let's see how that evolves over the next few years. Regardless, you will still need to pass your driving test to get behind the wheel of any car. And the delays in Port Leash and Burr in particular are significantly longer than elsewhere. So in Burr, 24 weeks you'll be waiting. In Port Leash, 25 weeks. So nearly half a year. Compare that to Tullamore where the delay is just 14 weeks. Similar delay in Athlone, Mullingar a bit longer. Michael Davis joins us and he runs Tullamore School of Motoring. Morning, Michael. Morning, Will. So how long have the delays in Port Leash and Burr uh, been like this? Has there always been a, a longer time there relative to Tullamore or is this more recent? It's very, very much most, most uh, recent because pre-COVID um, the waiting time for the driving test na- nationally was uh, 8 to 10 weeks and that's the, the, the period the RSA would like to have to give people a chance to prepare for their test, get their lessons, get organised and have everything in order that they're going to get in a bit of practice before they actually do the driving test. But it is um, something that's relatively new, that the gap between Port Leash and Tullamore is after opening up. I'm wondering why that might be. OK, the population in Port Leash has grown faster than in any other town in Ireland over the last decade. And perhaps it's that the RSA hasn't kept pace with that. Uh, would that be your assumption or might there be something else going on? No, the, the RSA definitely haven't kept pace with the number of driving testers they have on stream. But just a, good, a bit of good news from that's after coming out uh, recently is that there's um, in excess 40, 45 new driving testers are after coming on stream in the past week. Um, this is going to bring up nearly 200 driving testers nationwide. And uh, they reckon that by midsummer, the waiting time could be down to 10 weeks. Oh, that would be a vast improvement if they can make it happen. Yeah. Is that an average across the country? 
Yes, that would be across mm. the country. That's what they're actually hoping to do. Uh, the new driving testers are on a contract basis, and um, they reckon there will be more. Co- they'll, they'll, when their term is up, there'll be more competitions to employ more driving testers and bring the number up uh, to about 130, 140. And that'll be an ongoing uh, number that they'll try and maintain. Well, the Road Safety Authority seems to be getting it in the neck from all sides of the political divide. Uh, Sinn Féin TD Brian Stanley saying the minister now needs to ensure his officials put the resources in place to sort out the backlogs, in particular in Leash and in Burr. Then Fine Gael Minister Peter Burke, he was also unhappy that Mullingar has a list of just over 1,400 people waiting, which uh, compares to Athlone at 900 and Tullamore at 700. So there are problem centres, uh, not just Port Leash. There seem to be some that are under more pressure than others and those extra testers, if they're deployed in a targeted way, will make a difference. Um, that, I suppose, remains to be seen. How much flexibility are testers given when they apply as to where they work? This is a big bone of contention with the driving testers. Um, before, when they go through the process of applying for the job and before the, when they're accepted and before they go forward for training, they are told where they are most liable to be sent. Um, there's a lot of centres, Donegal, Mayo, that wouldn't be suitable for somebody to be travelling up and down on a daily basis if they were living in Tullamore. Oh, or God, no. I mean, Letterkenny's a four-hour drive. And so there's a big dropout with actual testers uh, that don't actually accept, they're offered a job on condition, but they don't accept the offer on account of um, the situation that to be in. It would be too much to get them to move a uh, house and change schools and everything else with families. So there is a little bit of a problem actually getting driving testers at the minute. Well, it sounds like if anybody has a qualification in the Port Leash, Burr or Mullingar areas, they are needed locally and hopefully that's how they will be deployed. Michael, have a great Christmas. Thank you for taking our call. You too, and happy Christmas to you. Next on Midlands 103, the young leash boy who is getting his prize mullet shaved off for a great cause. Midlands Today with the stories beyond the headlines. Midlands 103 A leash boy is getting his mullet shaved off in aid of his local school. Richard from Clonina National School will lose his locks on the 28th of this month. And Midlands 103's Shannon Fogarty has taken the trip to Mount Rath to first meet his principal, Melissa Burnell. I love my hair, I love my hair. There's nothing else that can compare with my hair. Yes, well, we are having um, a special day on the 28th of December in Cool Rain. We do it every year. We have a 6K fun run. Then we have a tractor run and an auction that night. But for the first time ever, one of our pupils at 5pm in Hogan's Bar in Cool Rain is going to have his gorgeous mullet shaved. His beloved mullet shaved. Isn't that right, Richard? to raise money for the school. So at the moment we have um, an I Donate page for Clonina National School Mullet Shave and it's on our Facebook also. So Richard's raring to go, aren't you Richard? Okay, so tell me why you decided you wanted to shave your mullet to raise funds for the school. 
And as far as it didn't look that nice anymore. How long have you been growing it? Uh, it's a year on Thursday. How are you feeling about the upcoming night? So basically, Mum was telling me I sort of had to do it until about last Thursday. Because, see, I live in a farm, right? Kay. And basically, we did up the lane for the cows this summer. And we made six fields into three fields. And we just left the stakes there and just pulled down the wire. And one of the stakes blew over or something. It was absolutely banjaxed, just sitting in the middle of the field. And I was wa- I was walking up through them anyway, and I found a stake to put up my shoulder, and all the hair got caught underneath it. This is an incredible thing that this young 11-year-old is taking on. And here are some of the reactions from some of his schoolmates and what they think of his mullet. I think it's very cool, uh, but um, as he's saying that he wants to get it done, uh, well, he wants to get done off after his story. It's a very sad story. <laughs> I think he should get cut off so he can get money for school. I think it's a good thing that he's shaving it off and raising money for the school, yeah. Well, I think it's kind of overstated welcome. <laughs> Are you a fan of the mullet? No. No. Would you grow one yourself? No. Um, I think he needs shave it, but before he has it fully shaved, he should try out a couple of different hairstyles and then cut off the rest of it. Ah. And what, what are your thoughts on that? What do you think? Do you want to go straight with the, the clean cut, or would you do some different looks? Um, my 18-year-old cousin's going to cut it, and he could do absolutely anything. Whatever happens, happens, and I kind of have to be happy with it then. <laughs> Now, all of this is being done to raise money for the school here in Mount Rath. And here's what some of the students think the money is going to be going towards. We're raising the, um, we're raising the fun run and the track run to go, to go towards the, our new playground. And we're trying to get more like AstroTurf and we're a very sporty school. So we're just trying to get more sports in and fitness and stuff. We need a bit, especially if we get the field, that would be really good because I think people that don't play soccer or play tag at break, they have something else to do. Like if they put in, I don't know, just so, some swings or something, I think that would be good for people that don't play soccer or tag or something. Yeah, something a little bit different for them to go and play with. Yeah. We need new sports equipment and like a bike shed or something like that because yeah. I cycle and like... Some, some more people might cycle if there was a bike shed. Principal Melissa tells me how this all came about and what the reaction was like in the staff room. Uh, firstly, I think everyone was in disbelief that somebody was going to shave their head for their <laughs> primary school, as were the staff, actually. Um, he'd been chatting about it for a- ages ago and I kind of thought it was a bit of a joke. And then his mum came and said it to me. She's the secretary on our parents' association, actually, so... She's really heavily involved in fundraising for the school. And um, she told me it was the end of November that Richard really wanted to raise money for school. For anyone that's wanting to donate, um, where can they go? Where's the link that they can go to find? It's on Clonina National School Facebook page. And they can Google it as well. If you just Google, I donate Clonina NS Mullet Shave. It should come up also. to him that report by Midlands 103's Shannon Fogarty Love Christmas Love Good morning and lots of people 
enjoying the Midlands 103 Advent Calendar. So midlands103.com, click on today's link and, well, I'll tell you in a few minutes what the prize is. Let's meet our Friday panel first. Derek Martin is here from Martin Engineering Consultancy Services based in County Offaly. How are you? That's a bad one. Thank you for having us. All set for Christmas? Uh, just about. I have to finish work first and then we'll find out. <laughs> or, uh, I'm assuming the wife has a list. When you're self-employed as you are, when does work finish for Christmas? I'd say we stop about five to midnight on Christmas Eve and we start again about five past midnight on Christmas Day. <laughs> it's basically whatever the work is. When the work is there, I'll do it. And if it's not there, what's basically I'll take a break. So that's predominantly my life at the moment. So. Let's see what's happening on the art scene. Michelle DeForge is director of Donna May's Art Centre in Portlaoise. Morning. Good morning. How's your Christmas shaping up? Not too bad. We're all looking forward to a break. Unlike my colleagues in other venues who have panto until Christmas Eve and again from Stevens's Day, our, our Portlaoise panto is at the end of January. So we, uh, we finish with uh, our very busy autumn winter season today, tomorrow, and then get a couple of weeks rest and then back to it in January for lots of entertainment again. What's the January panto? So the January panto this year is Cinderella. And already selling, selling very well. So we're looking forward to that. It's always great fun at the end of January. Colin Hughes, the same one? Um, no, um, I'm going to regretfully not remember the name of the production team on it. I'm sorry no. at the moment. But Portlaoise Panto Society ah, very are good. presenting theirs. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. And the final member of our panel today is Michael Farrelly, who is the branch manager in Sherry Fitzgerald, Davitt and Davitt in Kinnegad. Good morning. Good morning. And... Property sales, is there such a thing as an off-season? <laughs> Absolutely not. We're officially closing the office at 12 o'clock today, but I've already taken calls there when we're waiting to come into you for peop- a property that went on the market last night, talking about viewings tomorrow. Wow. Uh, we've had requests for viewings between Christmas Day and New Year. So regretfully, no, it, it doesn't stop. Hopefully Christmas Day and Stevens's Day, but there's always people and with, with so much stuff is done online nowadays, there'll be requests coming in through our My Sherry Fitz app, looking for details, looking for brochures, looking for viewings and maybe even hopefully making a few offers. So well, it, it's 24-7 nowadays. Make hay while the sun shines. Absolutely. You will remember with great pain the tumbleweed of a few years ago in absolutely, the office. Absolutely, absolutely. When you were praying for the phone to ring or whatever. But now it's, it's so much of it is done online. It's just 24-7. I, I was at a show there actually in Mullingar a couple of weeks ago, the Valley of the Squinton Windows. You might have seen it there in the art centre. And during the show, seven offers come in on a property <laughs> on my phone. On your phone? Yeah. Where is your son? It's unbelievable um, the way things have changed from my younger day where it might take you three months to, to sell a property in the country and, you know, you might do one viewing a day and now it's just bang, 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 you know. It's a very strange economy that we're in because there are some people who are in genuine hardship and Christmas is mm-hmm. an extra pressure on them. Others are grappling to get on the property ladder, uh, clamouring to try and reach that first rung another set perhaps who are far more comfortable and already in in positive equity. But we got an insight into what the country at large is spending its money on when AIB this week released a whole set of figures from January 11th being the day that most of us booked holidays in 2023 to how different music fans would spend their money with Springsteen and Coldplay fans outspending the Swifties, perhaps because the Swifties tend to be teenagers and people in their 20s. Or are you a Swiftie, Michelle? 
Not a particular Swifty. I, I, I admire her work, but I can't say I could sing all the songs back to you. But uh, no, it's, it's a really interesting phenomenon to see that level of fandom. I mean, every generation has somebody like that, that, that superstar. And just they get so excited to, you know, for them, to, for someone like that to come to Ireland, play mm. live gigs. It's such an excitement. So um, I watched seen, a video on TikTok yeah. of Taylor Swift starting Angels by Robbie Williams. Uh-huh. And then Robbie ascends from a platform underneath <laughs> and takes over the right. performance. And you could hear some people audibly in the background, who's that? Yeah, <laughs> it's really strange how it changed the familiarity with one star to the next. Just a couple of years younger um, teenagers or children and they just don't know the slightly older stars. So it's, um, but that every fandom, generation every generation has their icon. Absolutely. Like we all have icons, our icons from yeah, our yeah. younger days. Absolutely. Mm. You know? But it's that admiration, that live performance. You cannot uh, take it away from her. She is a phenomenal live performer and does such a show. So um, I think everyone's going to get their money's worth when they get to see her. Well, I think the same could be said for Bruce Springsteen. Um, and even for sure, he's amazing. At like, some age now, going, I remember going to see Neil Diamond live. Yeah. You know, um, Gareth Brooks, like, I mean, absolutely phenomenal yeah. live shows. Yeah. And I suppose if I have one bugbear, but the whole thing is that maybe so much of the modern stuff is jokingly coming in while we're talking about AI you know that it's it's all made up rather than just a man or a woman with a guitar and an instrument and able to sing and give a performance and connect with their audience yeah. we were in uh, London this year and we went to see Iggy Pop and oh, amazing still and oh. Iggy Pop was 70 yeah. years of age as he drove, jumping into the middle of the crowd <laughs> giving an electric performance yeah. uh, Blondie actually had her 78th birthday uh, celebration on stage that day, um, basically, oh. and the buzz kills, and there was a whole <laughs> lot of, of, of punk bands there. Amazing. Like, it was amazing, like, yeah. to be honest, and to still see them and see the crowd still, like, infatuated. Really them, excited and, to and see them, yeah. Sure look That's a live performance. Away this year, like, yeah. I mean, her, what age was, was Dolly? She oh, was north of 80, I, I think. Yeah. Phenomenal, still able to hold an audience, mm. you know, just herself. And no, her, no, her Tina Turner. Tina oh, sorry, Tina Turner. Tina Turner, yeah. yes. My yeah. apologies. I was thinking uh, Dolly. Sorry, and Dolly. I was like, <laughs> a bit worried there for a moment. <laughs> sorry, my apologies to Dolly. Uh, <laughs> Tina Turner, because I mean, to hold yes, an indeed. audience. No, absolutely. Like, I mean, um, yeah, amazing. At her yeah. stage, you know. And, and, yeah. Yeah. Phenomenal. I mean, it's real talent and, yeah. and gift or what's the word I'm looking for? I mean, the talent they it, had. It is. It's a piece do. of magic. I'm just so afraid now that a lot of the modern stuff is just so made up yeah. on computers and everything else that maybe it won't test. You but know, you see, you see young performers, even um, on stage in Dunamaze, the young performers who are there with their stage school or their yeah. school musical. We've got the four secondary schools in Portlaoise Town now coming to us for their uh, TY musical over the course mm-hmm. of the autumn and spring. So that's amazing. These uh, incredibly talented children and teenagers are getting to perform live and feel the energy of that connection with the audience. Mm-hmm. And whether it's those young people or all the way to Tina Turner and yeah. really big stars. Who's this girl that's dropped out of the sky as far as I'm concerned this week that's gone to Jules Holland show on New Year's Eve from Donegal? The blues music, it wouldn't be my sort of stuff, but the few bits they've played for on radio. Yeah. She's a phenomenal guitarist and singer. Um, and she's going to appear with who is it Rod Stewart or someone and yeah. wow like I mean for her I'm so yeah. delighted for her but I mean such a talent to just to appear out of nowhere mm. yeah. well, two, two three years ago Tolu McKay now yes. it was the RTE version of that uh, New the Year's M17. show but that's when she Broke really through. got catapulted yeah. onto the scene it was her version of the Saw Doctors N17 yeah. 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 we all kind of had a little giggle at Trump when he was talking about fake news and everything else yeah. but nowadays you're looking at videos and you're astounded, and then realise that it's actually a, an AI generation. It, nothing is 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 
valuable at the moment has been. Well, Leo Varadkar was in the news this week because the Taoiseach received a call ostensibly from the African Union a few months ago and it was a video call and he followed protocol and engaged with them and they were asking him some questions. But it turned out the person on the screen that he was seeing was artificially generated and the real person behind was a Russian comedian who subsequently went on to ask him windy uppy questions about the leprechauns and so on. Um, but he was duped at the highest level. They've changed their procedures and they'll have more security checks now and so on. Um, but watching on the screen, he believed he was talking to a diplomat from Africa. So if it can happen to him, it can happen to any of us. Yeah. We'll just not move away from the music. Am I right in thinking that the Beatles song is number one in the UK at yes. the moment? But that's a makey uppy AI, isn't it? It's a combination of alive and dead in the Beatles. There are elements of it, yeah. So the vocals were recorded, as I understand it. Um, there is a mishmash of what's real and what's uh, It's frightening facsimile. in some ways. Yeah, what's ahead? Have to stick to live performance to to trust it with your own eyes. <laughs> okay, but what about ABBA then in London? Yeah, well, I suppose everyone went to that knowing it was um, what's virtual reality or my yeah. holograms and like so on. Holograms, so yeah. you know they you know they kind of knew they weren't expecting to see ABBA live in, as such. Um, but I think there's there's some interesting things to be to be enjoyed by that as long as it's known and understood what it is and the difference between that and, and live. We'll have a, a virtual reality opera in Donamay's in the spring and it's um, it's pre-recorded, it's pre-made but your experience of it is through the virtual reality goggles. So just six people at a time will get to experience this with the headset and they can look around. Uh, you, I've, I've watched it before. You can you can turn around 360 on your feet. Or on, mm. I actually sat down on my knees because I was feeling a bit seasick with mm. it. And it's this incredible animation, live music, stunning orchestra, stunning operatic vocals um, by Irish National Opera. And it's just it's a whole other experience. So it's it's a little taste of maybe of some of the technology to come and some of those enhancements with arts and entertainment. But, you know, in, accepted to be different to a live opera concert or a live opera performance. But it's just it's if you, if you take it at that level and enjoy it as what it is rather than being duped, I think it's very important to see the difference between that. But, yeah, it can be really incredible. But here's the unknowable dilemma for yeah. you in the business. Yeah. Will that eventually remove the need to go to Donamay's or to the Borgosh Energy Theatre or whatever because in your home you will have this VR set and yeah. brilliant speaker systems and you will be able to experience yeah, as if all, you were there. Yeah, I mean we can all experience these things at home but I think it comes back to the magic of live entertainment, live performance and that connection between an artist and an audience and that spark that magic is in the auditorium it's once off you'll you'll hear actors talk about doing a run of like they might perform a play for months it's a little different every night because the energy in the room mm. is different every night and that's the magic of it and we were all locked away for months and months and months and we reached for books and music and film to get us through COVID and the, the that sense of isolation but when the theatres opened people came back because they wanted that connection and that human connection is what we offer that isn't possible through VR or anything else at home. Yeah, and look, it could be positive as well. It may allow you to transmit the performance to a much larger audience Absolutely. than those and who are physically there. And to people who there. can't come, you know. Mm. So there is that. It's to, it's to use the advantage of the opportunity without losing 
the essence of, of, of that magical live arts and cultural experience and connection and community. But is that not happening right across life? You say, yeah, absolutely. You're talking about entertainment yeah, there, but I mean... Even your business. I, our business online, is happening absolutely. as well. We, we, okay, I show a property, whatever, and then that particular instance, seven offers coming in mm-hmm. in the one Saturday evening yeah. on the property. There was no communication between me and those people. They I just, had met them once. Yeah, mm. you've given and okay, them the they have to show proof of finance and we have to do all the sure. checks and all the rest. But it's taking away that human connection. Yeah. And I suppose, again, showing my age, I'm looking at the younger generation and I'm saying, are they losing the ability to relate with people around them? Because it's all TikTok and text messages and all of this sort of stuff. And that's now moved into into business. You know, will will you know, will the day come where you walk into a shop and there won't actually be a person there to serve you? You'll take what you want and you'll scan it and pay and go out. I, I think well, look at the banking model. Absolutely. Well, you've, you've hit it right on. The, the banks would appear don't want you coming in the door anymore. Uh, if you can't do it online, mm-hmm. don't want to. Are we losing that ability to interrelate as humans and connect and talk and everything else? And I'm afraid we are a bit. Video and killed I, I, the radio star. <laughs> well said. But video did not kill the radio star. <laughs> well, you're still here. 91% of Irish people listen to radio every week and we are so grateful Absolutely. for it. Yeah. yeah. On our Friday panel today, Michelle DeForge, Director of Dunamay's Arts Centre, Derek Martin from Martin Engineering Consultancy Services in County Offaly, Michael Farley from Sherry Fitzgerald, Davitt and Davitt in County Westmeath. It's 21 minutes past 11. The Friday panel on Midlands Today with Comfort Keepers. Uplifting home care throughout the Midlands and nationwide. Comfortkeepers.ie The panel has agreed we are not going to discuss Trump or Ryan Tuberty, which I hope will be a popular choice with you as well. However, there was an article in the Irish Times on Wednesday which has caught the eye of Michael Farrelly. And it said that many type 2 diabetic cases could be avoided if you adopt a healthy plant-based diet. So the scientists at Queen's University in Belfast recommended a higher intake of fruits, vegetables and whole grains as compared with a diet high in snacks, desserts, refined grains, sugary drinks and so on. A certain amount of perhaps common sense in that. But what's your take, Michael? Because you are uh, somebody with type 2 diabetes. Yeah, I I was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes about six or seven years ago, I can't remember. And I suppose why I mentioned this article as one I'd like to discuss is it really annoys me when when you hear, oh, if you eat this or do not eat that or if you take this supplement or do that, all your problems will be solved. Um, it's the old story, story of moderation and everything. Uh, and personally, COVID was one of the best things that happened to me because I started walking uh, at a time when there was nothing else to do. Mm. And will it be glad to hear listening to the radio and the headphones and walking for, for hours. Good man, checking and, the post. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, um, it, it certainly helped me get it under control. But it really annoys me when you go on to you know see advertising or social media or whatever and it says well if you eat don't eat this or if you do eat that or you take this supplement or that supplement if all your problems will be sorted unfortunately I can tell you guys that is not the way it works it's a long journey to get uh, type 2 diabetes or anything like this weight or anything under control but um, what really uh, astounded me I suppose was that when I was diagnosed and started to be conscious of what I was eating that you pick up you know foods that are 
supposed to be reasonably healthy and you look at the labels and you see the amount of sugar that's actually mm. in them. Mm. There is sugar everywhere. And then with a little bit more research, the opinion I or the, the conclusion I came to was that years ago it was all about fat. You shouldn't eat fat on your meat. You shouldn't eat butter. Uh, you have to be careful of this, that and the other. Uh, and they took fat out of a lot of things because now you have low fat this, low fat that, low fat everything. But they found then that the taste had reduced significantly. So they started putting sugar into it to make it more palatable. And this diabetic problem was probably caused somewhat by that. Uh, It takes years of, you know, saying, you know, and developing your taste buds as to what you eat and you don't eat. I'm thankful that I have it pretty well under control. I had tests only this week and believe it, believe it not, six foot two man. And I won't mention what weight I am, but it's certainly probably twice what most people should be. Um, My cholesterol's fine. My blood pressure's fine. Thyroid's a bit iffy, but ev- my blood sugars are fine. Everything is fine. But I, it just when I saw this article, what annoyed me was somebody was trying to tell me, well, if I ate a plant-based diet, I problem would be sorted. It's not that it's balance, it's moderation, it's a little bit of everything. Obviously, stay away from the snacks. I'd agree with that part of it, all right, and the sweet things. But just the food industry, ha- well, they're not going to listen to me, but maybe look at what they're doing, pumping sugar into food, which is killing the world as far as I'm concerned. Food industry seems to go through fads. Absolutely. As you say, fat was the enemy a few years ago. Thankfully, now we're coming around to the realisation that there is too much sugar in nearly everything. And uh, the fitness industry, we were just talking off air, if you buy protein yogurts, protein bars, protein shakes, you will often find as much sugar in them as you do protein. Mm which counteracts the whole benefit yeah. of exercising yeah. in the first yeah. place. Well, well, I think the balance should be between intake and output, which is what you eat versus probably exercise. Unfortunately, we've all become desk jockeys, computers, cars, sitting. I always refer back to my own father. He wouldn't eat a piece of bacon unless there was an inch of fat on it. <laughs> uh, he wanted the homemade That was butter. the best bit. <laughs> yeah, well, absolutely. It was the tasty bit. And he probably ate everything that was wrong, yet he didn't carry an extra ounce because he went out every morning and he herded his cattle on foot. Mm. Um, there weren't as many labour-saving devices then as there are now, but he got exercise. Whereas now we go from our bed to our breakfast table to our car to our desk. And even people who are doing so-called manual jobs, there's, there's so much equipment in that now. So exercise is the big thing. I try, as I say to you, COVID was probably the best thing ever happened to me because I got out walking. It was good for my physical health. It was good for my mental health. And I walked and I walked and I walked. And then I suddenly said, oh, my weight's coming off. This is good. And uh, unfortunately, now that we're back to more regular times, I'm not able to exercise as much, but now much, I'm now trying to get the balance between intake, which mm. is the food you eat, an output, which is the exercise that you expend the energy, that's where the secret is. Not fads, not people telling you, take this supplement, do eat this, don't eat that. Rubbish. Well, that's the the, the culture that we're in today. It's basically, it's a quick fix. People want to... It's uh, marketing, Derek. It's marketing. They want a video to explain, uh, to give them a quick, easy out as to how to correct their their concerns. They want a tablet, they want a, a, a drink, they want a... Um, so well, it's an easy, an easy solution. machinery that they yeah. can push up Good and down job. a wall. What's it for? For two hours and become uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yes. Like it's 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 basically it's the culture that we're in. You know the yeah. the other side. But of also the food the, industry. The, they are uh, they're marketing people who are very very clever and adept at selling a message. And something you know a lot about. We've talked on the show mm. solar energy and. Yeah. 
yes, obviously it, it has a benefit. And if you have the panels on the roof, it diminishes what you're importing from the grid. Mm. But if you listen to the salesman, he or she will say, well, you'll get your return in four to six years. When you do your analysis as an objective engineer, what sort of numbers do you come out with? Yeah, it could be up to about 10 years. It depends on the on the systems, the, the orientation and the, the, the quality of the, of the panel itself. Um, None of that extent. fits into a simple message, though, a, a distilled soundbite. Mm. <laughs> and that, like, I was just going to mention there as well, like about the, the, the engineering side of, of commercialism, of, of food commercialism, is basically they have a concept that they want to provide a protein bar. So how do we stick it together to make it into one lump that we can sell individually? So they have to put in some form of a congealant, a, a, a honey base or whatever, which brings up the sugar type. And then they taste it and it's horrible. So <laughs> they have to sell it and we have to make it nice so somebody will want to come back. And also there's the potential, the, the nicotine effect, that they want to put something in it that basically will want to bring you back to buy the same bar next week, next week after. So it's engineered to a point where basically on the label it says protein, good for you. On the back of the label, it says, don't touch this with a barge ball <laughs> because <laughs> it's been modified yeah. to, yeah. to the nth degree that it actually yeah. overweighs, the, the bad stuff overweighs the good stuff. But is yeah. it, Although I should say, not all the industry is one homogenous bad Absolutely. group yeah. because... Oh, no, no, sorry, I don't mean to... <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, for instance, and support local, Glenisk have a protein yoghurt and the plain version, as opposed to the mm. vanilla option, has four parts protein for every one part sugar. But you're, you're, talk, like you're talking about Galenisk, who basically are revolutionary, and they started organic mm-hmm. straight off. They started from a, 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 a platform of grow of of, uh, of good products, basically local sourced yeah. um, organic products, and then basically they expanded out in toward to, to hit the other markets. Whereas you're, I'm talking about uh, somebody in the back warehouse, uh, basically building a product and wanting to sell it to hundreds of thousands of people uh, as quickly as possible. Uh, to get it out there, you know. Is this just jumping totally on this? It frightens me all of the same that we as human beings are so easily manipulated and sold to and driven in a certain direction by marketing and all mm-hmm. of this stuff is all I can call it. You yeah. know, telling us this is good for sale. And and we're like sheep. Um I don't you ever heard to say if, if you're if you're herding sheep, and you want to get them out of the gate, if you get one sheep out the gate, the rest will follow. <laughs> and shouldn't compare humans to sheep, but we are very similar. If you can drive humans in a direction, if you get a few out the gate, everyone will follow. Tell them sugar's bad for them, something else is good for them. Eat this bar, take this supplement, and they will do it. Yeah. It's actually frightening. And social media, I suppose, has a big hand in this because we all have our TikToks or Facebooks or whatever, mm. um, X is what it's called now, whatever these things. Um, and there is a bit, one of the articles you talked about was that uh, or here for, for discussion. But I mean, it just scares me that people are so easily manipulated and driven in a particular direction. And I suppose, look at America, what Trump has done. What vast population in America with him. Personally, I, I just... But then you, it's coming from. Yeah, but you've such polarised media in America where uh, you have people who obviously are not Trump supporters, but those um, who are in the Democratic Party will be very ardent um, that Joe Biden is the man. Um, those who are Trump supporters will say, well, what about Hunter Biden? What about Ukraine? What? So at least here in Ireland, there's a regulated media, which, well, 
radio's regulated, TV is regulated, the rest aren't really. But there's an obligation to give balance and an obligation to give both sides. Well, is it, is you it you not, don't get that on social, for instance. Is it not the media's job to create this or cause this, so therefore create news that they can report? In what sense? Well, to, to, to publicise all of this stuff, to create controversy and create media content. You know, you, 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 I'm, if you watch some of these programmes that will say documentary interviews, I mean, I would spot an interviewer asking a question of a person and you'd know they, they don't agree with this or believe in it, but they want to get the reaction because that creates... To provoke the response. Pro- provoke the response, yeah. yes. Which creates um, further news and further airtime or media time. And um, I, I don't know if you did Roman history when you were in school. <laughs> I did, believe it, believe it or not. And it's actually very interesting. I went to a school that taught Latin uh, and part of Latin was Roman history. Latin's a lovely language. can't remember any of it, but it's a lovely language. But Roman history is very, very interesting. You know, you're talking about two, two and a half thousand years ago, but there was three things in Roman history or in Rome. You had the uh, the plebs who were the working class, you had the patricians who were a bit, and you had the senate who were basically the government. And Geoffrey Archer, I think, wrote a book some years ago and he called it, they were called the three estates. And Geoffrey Archer wrote a book a few years ago, well, more than a few years ago now, and he called it the fourth estate. And it was about the media. media. Mm. Mm. And what he was saying was, in modern life, the media are equally as important as the working class, the nobility, if we still have them, and the government. And I think it was so true. Like the media have a huge hand in everything that goes on nowadays. And but they can sway people and people believe it. Well, if you, you know, take, I can only speak for broadcast media, there's a fairness code that is regulatory, it's binding. And there are <coughs> 20 odd different points of good practice on it about which if we fall short and we're human we will fall short there's a complaints process and it'll be adjudicated on and potentially there can be fines and sanction up to including losing uh, the radio station's licence and uh, if uh, there's one say point of view you come on here and you argue that the sky is is red um, unless I have somebody who can argue that the sky is blue I have to play devil's advocate with you and but in social and even in print to some extent, there isn't that regulation. There isn't that requirement to hear both sides or indeed hear all arguments. I think it can be dangerous and it maybe goes back a little bit. Another thing we discussed earlier was AI and, you know, Freddie Mercury singing the, 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 the theme song from Titanic. It's frightening what can be done. And I suppose, again, making a point uh, um I don't know whether we were live when I made this point comparing people to sheep. But you pe- were. Was <laughs> Oops. And you, can't, and you can't take it back. <laughs> but the point I make it is that people are, are easy led in some ways. So I think media have to be hugely that's, careful of what they say. That's how fascism and that's how communism and that's how um, most struggles are most... most um, well, you have a growth in socialism in, in mainland Europe at the moment, in yeah. the governments, you know, which I is think probably a bit scary. I might have a bit more faith in humanity and hope for the future. <laughs> Conversations get a bit negative this side of Christmas. <laughs> I, I just have... Well, you're I'm seeing, the Christmas jumper. Yeah, like a I'm wearing the Christmas jumper. I'm here for Christmas. Um, yeah, I just... I, I see all that. I absolutely acknowledge all that. But I, I just... I see such positive community spirit and 
community engagement. And I think some of what you're talking about is when people become less engaged with their community, with the people around them and with the positive things that are out there. Um, But you see at this time of year, you see it so clearly. There's such generosity with charity fundraising. There's such generosity for people, Will, who you acknowledged are really struggling at this time of year. You know, it's not the same for everybody. And the experience of Christmas isn't the same for everybody, but I hold out hope. <laughs> well, Michelle, you're, 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 you're the eternal optimist, and I, and I like to consider myself as eternal optimist. Absolutely, as well. no. However, we let's go back to maybe a point I tried to make yeah. earlier about um, the young people's ability to interact. Yeah, it's really with, important to it, support that. I think we're losing some of that, and you yeah. see, you see, it is worrying. You There's see, no sports doubt. clubs around the country now struggling to get put out teams. And, and I mean, where I live in, in, in Northwest Mead, like, I mean, there's some absolutely wonderful clubs and what they've done with their facilities. Yeah, incredible. And the clubhouse they've yeah. built and the all weather pitches. And I know it's grant aid and everything else, but it's absolute. And the effort that's been put in yeah, by the positive impact people of that. for children and under eights and under tens, mm, be it rugby, numbers, football, yeah. hurling. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah. But then when it gets on later, I know in my area, some of the clubs that were arch enemies for years. Yeah. Uh, had to amalgamate yeah, to put numbers. teams out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that scares me a bit. Yeah. And I agree absolutely. I mean, Ireland, we're known for generosity and all the rest and, and Christmas brings out the best in people. But there is still just a bit of me that is concerned. Yeah, I think concern is, is a good thing because we need yeah. to be concerned about what comes after us. No doubt yeah. about it. I'd be concerned more so. Much. One of the, 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 the to- topics on the panel was about um, the, the hotel in yeah. uh, Galway, which yeah. was, was yeah. burnt. I'd be more concerned about the rhetoric that's allowed to actually em- em- embellish in the society at the moment. Like the, the government basically have provided an open door policy on immigration. They've not they've not engaged with the people. They've not engaged with with uh, um, the the communities. And basically, you're looking at um, 140,000 uh, people came into the country this year, um, and the. The, the situation that pe- Irish people are in at the moment with the cost of living crisis, with the, the mortgage rates gone up, with the energy crisis, with everything that's going on, um, the homelessness, the people that are actually living in hostels and everything else. And yet you're seeing um, uh, uh, modular buildings built, built for immigrants, um, which, again, like it's a very, very, very sensitive subject. I don't mean to come across in any way whatsoever racist. What I'm talking about is basically... <clears throat> is communication, is people actually um, uh, engaging with the communities to let them know that this is what the situation is. Help all, be it Ukrainian, be it Russian, be it um, Polish, whatever, uh, and Irish, equally, um, to make sure. So just on that, uh, obviously the war broke out in Ukraine February 22. It was only September of this year, some 18 months later, that community engagement teams were put in place by the Department of Integration. That's a perfect example. But exactly since September, they are, in but theory at least, out working with communities in advance of these plans. Well, like if you've seen the if you've seen the, the outcome of non-communicable, um, like you, you've you've had a situation where basically the the Department of um, Immigration has mentioned that there's fifty six thousand people coming in in a quarter every quarter. We can we only have availability to actually veto twelve of those people. So there's potentially uh, 41,000 people not being vetted as per what should be. People are seeing the issues that are happening basically, uh, God rest her soul, what's the name, Ashley Murphy and the 
the school kids in, in Dublin there a couple of weeks ago. Now, again, you can't condone what happened after those school kids um, got injured, basically, because 90% of that was people on the bandwagon just wanted to cause mayhem. The riots, um, yeah. The riots. But it is lurking in the back end of, every, of, of our society today. And what's going to happen is we're going to come into a situation where England got into in the 60s and 70s where racism becomes um, a, a, a kind of a, an, a known or a, an obvious um, source it's going to become, Ireland is going to become racist. It's going to become some form of, a, you're going to have your more national fronts, you're going to have your combat 18s, you're going to have all these um, far-right um, societies that are actually trying to drive people toward this um, uh, to, uh, rhetoric to actually um, begin to hate. And that's creeping in. But unfortunately, our government, our people who are in charge, are doing very little. They're ignoring the 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 the, um, the absolute elephant in the room. The same as what they've done with the wind farms. The same as what they've done with other things. Basically, ignore the the, the people's concerns. Hopefully, it'll go away, and then eventually, what's it? It'll just come up to bite. Okay, but if we can circle back around to mm. the role of the media in this, there is an argument. I think we've rattled them a little bit. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I, I, I'm curious to get your steer and indeed the steer of people who are listening because. Uh, the obligations that we are under are to facilitate a range of views, including perhaps not necessarily somebody who's advocating breaking the law, um, but somebody who has concerns perhaps their job is going to be displaced, that they're not going to have room in the local GP surgery, that the school is going to be overcrowded, whatever those concerns are. And on the other side, somebody who says Irish people have been traditionally very welcoming, Kami La Fulcha, uh, what's happening in various countries of origin, maybe somebody's fleeing persecution. Uh, so you have a range of, of views and that all views should be heard and ultimately it's for the listener to make up their own mind. But I suppose, uh, Justin, if you're gonna, I don't disagree with any word you said there. Mm. Absolutely. Very valid points the whole way. But it's unprecedented what's happened in the last two years. I mean, the Ukraine war is almost two years. I mean, you gave the dates there, Will. And I think the problem was in communication. And as as Will said, I'm based in Kinnegad and Devon I mean, we had the, the refugees coming into the hotel in Kinnegad there last year. And there was quite a reaction in the area at the time. But from inquiries I made, even the Garda weren't told they were coming. And that point was made actually down in Galway, I think, this week as well. Although disputed. Yeah, yes, disputed. But I had it from a member of the Garda that he didn't even know they were coming into 180 people who were coming mm. into Kinnegad of a Monday. He didn't know. And I, I, how the conversation came up, I said to him, I presume you were notified a couple of weeks in advance that all um, breaks or holidays were cancelled for yeah, that week or whatever. To be prepared. No, he says, we weren't. We weren't told. The only person who knew was the caretaker of the hotel. And that's a bad organisation, lack of communication. Now, in defence maybe of the government, I'd say it's unprecedented. And I think as a whole, as a nation, we probably need to look back a bit in history that pre-famine, and I know I'm going back now 180 years or 170 years, there was 7 million people in this country. And you can argue the famine and the way we were treated and all the rest, but that's for another day. But I mean, so many people left here and went, like 70 million people of Irish descent in America I mean, we were we were once the people who had to yeah, go yeah. somewhere else. And I'm not saying we weren't treated. We, the red carpet wasn't rolled out. 
Yeah. You know, yeah. we, we heard the instance of, of you know, in, in the UK, our nearest neighbour, no blacks, no Irish, dogs, no dogs. Irish. You know, that, that famous thing. We weren't treated, but we were once those people that had to flee for uh, safety. Let oh. me inject something else into the conversation and we have to take a quick break for a moment. So think about this. Deputy Carl Nolan, who is an independent TD in Leash Offaly, she started a debate in the Dáil two weeks ago and, and actually it was reported just in sound bites. It's worth reading her whole contribution. She talked about how one in four people coming to Ireland seeking asylum were doing so from safe countries. The Department of Foreign Affairs has a list of safe countries. So it wasn't from um, somewhere there's war, persecution, and and therefore, is it possible that there is an economic lure to Ireland? Mm. And is that a legitimate reason to seek asylum here? Um, or should they just go through the normal visa system as thousands of people who work in hospitality, in healthcare, in tech have done? Midlands Today's Friday panel, thanks to Comfort Keepers Home Care, a caring voice and a daily dose of joy. Comfortkeepers.ie Mixture of comments on 083 30 103 text or WhatsApp. Will, it's not about Trump or Biden or indeed any other politician. It's about policy. Wouldn't matter if Mickey Mouse was running it. It's all about their policies and should be assessed on that rather than personality. Here's a brilliant point. Somebody says, we are very slow and inefficient in government in this country where, take, for example, the community teams you mentioned being installed 18 months after the war broke out, but also only today are we outlawing the sale of vapes to under-18s? How long have they been in the market? And take electric scooters. We have yet to regulate them, even though we talked about this in 2019 when Shane Ross was the Minister for Transport. So I don't know if that rests with government per se or indeed the apparatus of the civil service, but we seem to be slow to get ahead of the curve. We seem to be slow at at everything. Actually, before we came in, we were having a conversation out in in the room about uh, planning permissions and I had particular angle on forestry and stuff like that. We are just so desperately slow to get anything done Government's fault, civil service fault. I wouldn't be the one to point the finger, but um, but it's not we, a new thing. It's not basically. Uh, I agree. It's not because Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael are in, or Fianna Gael are in, or Fianna Fáil are in, yeah. or Fianna Gael are in, or the other time when Fianna Fáil were in. <laughs> it's basically um, 1963. The Plan and Development Act uh, came forward with new building regulations. They have to incur new building regulations. 1991 was the first day, then the first year that the building regulations came in. No. So there was two million houses built pre-building regulations in this country. Um, that's the way the, 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 this country works, basically. We come up with a good plan, we um, and then we actually talk about it, and then eventually somebody, when the, the, the backs are to the wall, we have to implement it. Um, the, we also have very effective lobbyists who can frustrate and throw spanners in the works. And that's, uh, Yeah, that's down to the system, though. Like it's, The system should be, basically, if it's good for the country, it should be in. Um, like the, the Even the solar panels... Um, regarding the, 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 the tariffs. 2006, they came up with the idea that the tariffs should be paid back um, if any additional um, energy from the solar... Oh, yeah, power. this is the feed-in tariff. Feed-in tariff, yeah, exactly. have surplus, you sell back to the grid. Yeah, 2021, it went into legislation. Mm. 15 so years later. 15 mm. years later. 
and they actually gave a bit of a caveat a get out of the jail clause for the, the um, service providers saying that the tariff is at 0.00, 000 uh, per kilowatt hour dependent on the so uh, the, the tariffs um, discretion um, so therefore they can they can sort of get you in and say that they're going to pay X amount per month uh, per, per kilowatt hour and then six months time that deal will drop down to, uh, to nothing there's no regulation on that you might like this comment on food from Hilda. She says, chips, Oreos and Pepsi are technically vegan. So as a rule of thumb, if food has to tell you it is healthy, chances are it is not. Yeah. Very good point. Good point yeah. Very yeah. good point. Yeah. Uh, but where, where is um, what's the word? self-control? We have to make decisions ourselves about these things. And if we have, if we, yeah, we, if we have to be told that something is healthy or unhealthy, I think we're on a downward slope. <laughs> but the thing is, the healthy bit is in big uh, red writing on the front, and the unhealthy bit, the actual details, is in small, indescript, very light blue, where you can barely read unless you actually take. Well, the same about electric cars; they're good for the environment. But what about the poor kids that's trying to mine the? whatever the, that, that chemical that goes in to make the batteries, you know, we, we get the good news or the news that suits mm. the person who's selling you the product, not the truth. Mick the Muscle Man, that's the name he's given himself, <laughs> says... Sorry, the, <laughs> the Glenisk protein yoghurt is excellent if you can get it. It's nearly always sold out in Tesco. Uh, High so demand. In, <laughs> indeed. So take note to the Clearies if you're listening. We need more of your protein <laughs> yoghurt. Yeah. Guys, we are out of time. Can I wish you all a very, very happy Christmas and thank you so much for joining us on the Friday panel. Happy Christmas, happy well. Christmas. Happy Christmas to everyone. Thank you very much. On the panel today, Michael Farrelly of Sherry Fitzgerald Davitt and Davitt in County Westmeath, Michelle DeForge, Director of the Dunamays Arts Centre and Derek Martin of Martin Engineering Consultancy Services in County Offaly. The programme was produced today as it was all year long by Sinead Hubble and, well, she's off on her honey bops. But I'll chat to you on the 2nd of January and sure I might even appear from time to time next week as well. Have a great Christmas. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Midlands Today with Bus Erin. Use your TFI Young Adult or Student Leap Card on board Bus Erin services as part of the Transport for Ireland network. Visit buserin.ie today.